Welcome into the Legends Rewind podcast. I'm Rusty Ellis, joined today by Upper Cumberland legend Jason Winningham. I don't know if you'd describe yourself that way. I think a lot of people would describe you that way. <laughs> I hope so. Definitely. I'm not doing it, but hopefully other people have a good impression. Sure. <laughs> so, Coach, let's talk about how did you first get into basketball? What's kind of your earliest memory looking back on it? Um, earliest memory, I mean, I always played. Um, probably started five, six years old, just playing um, just like every other kid, you know, playing in junior pro leagues and local stuff around. Um, I grew up in Nashville, so ended up just the same thing. You know, your typical junior, junior high, high school, just played all the way through five, always had a, a goal outside, and just kind of fell in love with the game at an early age. Why basketball? Of all sports, why basketball for you? Um, I played everything. I played mm-hmm. multiple sports growing up. I played soccer, baseball, but really about age 13, 14, that's kind of where where I kind of fell in. That was just a sport that, I mean, I loved the most, and then it didn't help that I grew about six more inches. <laughs> so once I hit about 6'6", six, six, I better better be playing basketball. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd like to think of myself as relatively tall. I'm about 6'2", <laughs> and you're like one of the few people that have made me feel short. How tall are you, first of uh, all? I'm curious. I'm 6'9". Six, six, jeez, yeah. good Lord. How much were you, were you taller than a lot of people at, at that level? Or, or I when you wasn't. Played? Starting out, I was – Funny story. I mean, I was point guard my first two years of high school. Wow. And then in between my sophomore and junior year, I grew probably six inches. And I went from point guard to my coach was like, dang, now you're a center. Don't dribble, don't shoot. So I went from (laughs) total polar opposites in about six months to a year. Making a positional change like that, how how difficult is that really when you're so used to being the guy that's on ball primarily? Um, It's struggle. My high school career, I I always kind of laugh and – look back at people it's it wasn't great you know I I just I transferred from like I was at McGavick in Nashville so the largest high school in the state of Tennessee at the time so I went from point guard to center and in Nashville everybody had a 6'10 center and a 6'8 power forward and in our in our region alone there was 12 D1 players so me being um Six seven six six, and I didn't gain a pound when I grew, so I was about 175 pounds. It, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> it took me a while to go. I had a, my sophomore, I mean my junior year, I averaged about five points, mm-hmm. and then finally my senior year is when I averaged about 16 and 16. Mm-hmm. So that's when I first started. I was kind of that late bloomer, you know. I just didn't didn't have that all American high school career, so I had to go. You know, my one good senior year is still propelled me to, mm-hmm. to everywhere else. So. so what's it like having an Anthony Davis-like growth spur like that, where you're, you said you're at 6'2 or 6'1, right. and then you, you grow that much? What, what's that like? What does that feel like? For me, it was awkward. I don't know about <laughs> Anthony Davis, but for me, it took, you know, it was just different. It, was, it, it took a while. It was awkward. Um, and my game, I just had to change. It had to change, and it long term, it was probably for the best, because instead of me always facing the basket, I had to – I had to adapt and I had to learn everything about the game, just not my position. So it worked out well. So you've, you've had to learn just about everything that it comes to the game of basketball, being a, a, a primary ball handler when you first started and then growing like that, having to learn the post. Right. Uh, what, what do you think in basketball, what's the toughest part of the game to learn, in your opinion? Um, golly, it's a loaded it's a question. Good question. I, <laughs> I mean, it's – the hardest part that I think nowadays is is the IQ of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's just different. You know, the game is, has sped up a whole lot. The game is, you know, it's quicker. It's more threes. It's, it, 
it's just different from 20 years ago. Um, but I think the IQ side is what, for me watching hundreds of games, the IQ side is kind of what I've seen kind of disappear mm-hmm. from the game a little bit. Sure, there's some smart players and they're, and they're talented, but being able to think the game and see stuff ahead of time is, instead of reacting, is kind of the, the area that I think has diminished. Um, the skill set, sure, everybody's skilled and highly skilled now. Um, just because there's a whole lot more options for people than there were 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you look at because I know that obviously today one of the biggest things that's changed from basketball around you know the mm-hmm. 80s and the 90s and now is that it's obviously a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Do you think, especially young players, and, and yeah, as a trainer, I'm sure you probably see this a lot. Do you think the one thing people struggle with is slowing down and not trying to go too fast? Um, it, it happens all the time. Um, like I said, I'm kind of an old school guy. I know a lot of coaches around here kind of are, some aren't. It's, you know, I, I was never big on bad shots. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, they're kind of accepted, you know, and <laughs> yeah. it's, that's the hardest thing for me because I still, even in my business now, I'm not teaching certain things just because I know that's not going to help their game out. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it, shooting it, from 30 feet, for example. Yeah, no, you better be able to knock it down. <laughs> but there's some coaches that uh, it, it's it's just the way they coach, and mm-hmm. I'd rather you rep up 35, 43s a game now to where 20 years ago you might have shot 12 to 15, mm-hmm. you know. So. Gotcha. So uh, when you were, were first, say, let's go back to like middle school ball and high school ball, who, who were some coaches that really helped you and helped grow your game? Uh, middle school? Uh, I, I hate to even say it, but I didn't have a great mm-hmm. middle school and, and, and even a high school relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some, you know, some, some junior pro coaches that really just kind of motivated me and helped me fall in love with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my parents and older brother, they, they always kind of put me through the ringer, so it was, it was there. Um, my high school coach, he was, he's kind of a legend at, at McGavick. The floor's named after him. Um, there's just it was just kind of bits and pieces of everybody at that age and then when I hit um, my first year of college it's probably the first time that I had a great a great coach that actually sat down and taught the game and taught it the right way and that's when my game really totally changed from just being tall and athletic to alright now kid understands it and he understands how to score and he understands angles and you know, just where you need to be on the court at all times. So I, w- I would lean toward more my later career mm-hmm. than I would early, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, it does. So that kind of leads into this. How different was the recruiting process at that point compared to, like, what it is? Now, obviously, social right. media is a big, big part of it now, but right. it wasn't a big part of it back then. It was, and it's changed. Coaches, have, um, they've got it easy now <laughs> where they didn't, they didn't back then. I mean, it just – you had to be on your horse. You had it's the now it is the same as far as relationships and, but they didn't have the the travel ball. They didn't have the big exposure events. Didn't have social media. It was you know AAU was just kind of, kind of coming around back then. And it was it was the better players, that played then. It wasn't mm-hmm. you know seventy five teams from one county. I mean mm-hmm. it was, if you were playing you were you were good. But there still it was. There was more of an emphasis on high school mm-hmm. to where nowadays even travel ball is kind of taking a higher recruiting place than, than high school. So. Yeah. 
So what was your recruiting process like? Because you mentioned having that big oh, senior gosh. year. How, how, how fast did things like go from zero to 100? It, it went within a year and a half. Um, I always laugh because I can, I can go through my whole story and my career, and it is the perfect, kind of the perfect thing of don't give up, don't quit. Mm-hmm. Um, when I finished high school, I had, I had three offers. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two junior college offers and a D3 school. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to, ended up going to Chattanooga State at junior college. And I had some issues in high school. My, my coach wouldn't let me, like I said, I was a guard early, but mm-hmm. my coach wouldn't let me, when I became a center, he wouldn't let me shoot outside the paint. He would literally take me out of games mm-hmm. if I shot jump shots, which was a huge adjustment for me. I've been shooting my whole life. So I had a, a college coach watch a game that I got benched. It's actually a pretty funny story. Um, we were playing Wise Creek, number one team in the nation. And I hit, started the game with two, two short corner jump shots on the number one player in the nation, David Vaughn. And then I missed one. Coach takes me out, doesn't play me the rest of the first half. Wow. So, okay. So, start of the second half, I hit two elbow jump shots. And then I missed one, takes me out, I'll play the rest of the game. So, that's actually where I got my college scholarship from was that game. Coach, um, Coach Tyler Turnham was there, and his big selling point was, you come play for me, I'll let you shoot, and I'll let you play. And uh, freshman year at Chattanooga State, I shot 44% from the three-point line. And I went from two junior college offers <laughs> and, and a D3 to I had probably 75 Division One offers mm-hmm. after that year. So within a good 12-month window, it, <laughs> everything just kind of changed. And once I got into kind of my natural, mm-hmm. kind of my natural position, it, it just opened everything up for me and kind of allowed my athleticism to kind of get put on display compared mm-hmm. to sitting around the rim and. Keep my back to the basket, which mm-hmm. wasn't my specialty at the time. So, how much? So, I mean, I'm sure this is probably a redundant question, but how much did that mean to you as a player to have a coach that was saying, "Hey, we see something you can do that maybe another coach isn't letting you do," and they're willing to invest in developing that? And that, and that was that was the first time, probably in my life, that I had a coach really instill that confidence in me, and. That's kind of my big thing, even even in my training business now. If a kid's not playing with confidence, they're not going to reach their full potential. They're not even going to be great. I mean, it's such a huge part of the game, believing in yourself and knowing that shot's going in and having just having that confidence on the court. And I don't know, it's hard for some coaches to relay that to kids. You mm-hmm. know, they want to push, 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 and that's fine. But at the same time, you got to build up and you got to – you got to build up the emotional and mental side of it as well instead of tearing it down. So I'd experienced that. So for me, it was it was new. It was new to just, oh, man, do this, do that, miss a shot and not get looked at. You know, it was, man, keep shooting it. And it just it snowballed after that. 44% on threes. How many threes do you think you took that year? Um, oh, it's different. Um, <laughs> I was oh, I'd have to add it up. Probably four a game, three to four a game. I mean, still for that for that age of ball, yeah, I mean, it that's – it was, I was kind of that stretch four yeah. before that stretch four was popular, I guess. <laughs> you know, and it was it was easy for me to be that trail guy and the ball get swung back and, and get get open shots all day until they kind of figured it out. But yeah, it's changed. It's changed <laughs> a lot. Four four was a lot then. Now you're dropping 
12, 14 a game. So. <laughs> I'm about to say four of you, if you apply that to today and like with right. the inflation, that's probably closer to like 11 or 12 yeah, threes it, a it game. Really it really so is. So 75 D1 offers, what, uh, take me from that point on. How, where did you end up and what, what, what led you there? Right. It, it's a process. And it, it, like I said, it was kind of different for me. I didn't have. I guess someone there to kind of walk me through it. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of, it was new to me. My family had never experienced it, friends. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it was tough for me. Um, so I, I mean, I had to make my own decisions. I ended up turning down some, some much bigger schools from Pac-10, Big East, to go to um, a Sunbelt Conference team, Louisiana Lafayette. Okay. Um, just my thinking was it's mid-major. They were actually ranked in the top 25 at the time, had had a couple good NCAA runs. Um, you know, my thinking was I want to see the floor. I don't want to go somewhere where I won't play. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, don't, I don't know if it was the right, the right logic behind it. Um, but, you know, we took all of our trips, and that was the place that the assistant coach there, who's still one of my great friends today, um, just kind of led me there. He, he was – I'm a – all the schools were pretty awesome. It was just mm-hmm. he was the one that I felt the best connection with, and that's where I chose. So what was your career like there then? Um, my first year was, I mean, season team-wise, we had a, a phenomenal team. We, we won conference. We went to the NCAA tournament, played, played Marquette in the first round. Um, great team. Marquette went to the final eight that year. I want, I want to say they beat Kentucky mm-hmm. after they beat us. Um, and career is just up and down a little bit. We had, um, you know, we were just 10, 11 deep. And some games you're getting minutes, some games you're not. So it was just a, it was kind of a mental, a mental game that mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, that you, you got to learn and got to go through. Um, I ended up after, after that year, I ended up, um, my assistant coach, who's the reason that I went to uh, mm-hmm. Lafayette, he got the head job at Southeastern Louisiana, mm-hmm. um, which was outside New Orleans in the Southland Conference. And um, I ended up going there and transferring there with him. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I couldn't have finished up where I was at. It was just – You enjoyed playing. That was my guy. Yeah. That was where I wanted, who I wanted to play with, and it worked out great. I mean, senior year there, I was one of only 18 guys in college basketball that averaged a double-double. Um, so I can't complain at all. Does that kind of your relationship with that coach? Does that kind of just go to show that you know this business is so important and is fundamentally built on relationship building above all else? I, I, I believe it is, um, and, I, and everybody will have different different thoughts on it. And I, even to this day, I, I talk to so many coaches that you know you, you better go to a school because the education and, and this and that. And I'm always kind of like, you know what, you better go because that relationship with the head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, because if it's not there, you're going to be in the transfer transfer portal in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. you're not going to be happy um so that that relationship is super important and not just with your assistant coaches who are recruiting you it's it's with the head coach that's the ultimate decision maker so Mm -hmm. you better be right with him and Mm -hmm. on the same page with how they see you how how they see you playing and where they see you playing at So you played at a lot of different levels, it seems like, in a very short amount of time. You mentioned JUCO and then going to D1. Mm-hmm. How big of a difference is there between JUCO and D1? I'm, cu- I'm curious. So. Um, you know, at the time, obviously the, the, size is, the size is different, the speed, the strength. It's, I mean, it's all a, a next step up. Um, at the time, JUCO, we had 
I mean, even in, in my conference in JUCO, I think we had 20 guys that, that left and went Division One. So, I mean, it was good basketball, um, but obviously nowhere nowhere like the Division One level. Um, just top to bottom. I mean, you've got, you know, all-state players on the bench that never see the floor mm -hmm. at, at D1. So it's just the, the speed at every level, just from, you know, obviously high school JUCO to the Division One level is just the athleticism greater, the speed's faster, the guys are stronger, um, game's faster. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's an adjustment for some. It takes a while, but you, you sink or swim. Just part of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So talk about your decision to, to try to give, to give pro basketball a shot. What was that decision-making process like, and how did that journey get started? It, 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 the exact same way my, my college career did. <laughs> I just, you know, I never – it was never a goal of mine. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't – I wasn't one of those kids. I didn't want to play in the NBA. I didn't – I don't know. I guess it was maybe too far-fetched, you know. I just mm -hmm. never – Obviously, I love playing basketball. It would have been fabulous, but I never planned on it. Um, and then probably about halfway through my senior year in college, um, you know, my coach had been approached by a couple agents um, to talk after the season whenever we legally could. And um, that's when it kind of started halfway through sitting down having a talk with him that, hey, this is going to be a reality. You better kind of buckle down, get serious, and mm – -hmm. At the end of the year, I, I did. I had three or four good choices and agents that could really just help me out and get to the next level. And I mm -hmm. ended up choosing one, and um, ended up being a great relationship with him. And he opened a ton of doors for me. So where all where all have you played professional basketball? We talked about that a little bit before we started recording. But where all have you played? Um, I was I was in Europe for about five years. I played in Spain, France, Finland. China, um, had a little stint in South America, and then I played in the States two years in the CBA in um, a league that kind of merged with, with them called the IBA. Mm -hmm. um, so really about seven years, seven years okay. total. So how, how different is basketball when it comes to how seasons are structured, how schedules are structured? Yeah. How different is it around the world? You've played at so many different places. How different is it? Um, it, was, it was different, especially in Europe. Um, we were, and, and it's changed now, but back then it was, we played on Saturdays. So it was, or Friday nights, it was one day a week. So it mm -hmm. really was, man, kind of like a football schedule to where you <laughs> practice for four or five days and then you went and played, you know, and then the, and the season was really kind of drawn out because you end up playing 40 games in whatever it is, 40 weeks, and it was just a long, mm -hmm. but um, it, it was hard. It was hard to keep yourself in shape, not mm -hmm. playing that much. Um, that was the biggest thing for me is, um, all right, now you don't have structure. Now you're over there. You got to work out on your own. You got to eat on your own. You got to do everything on your own. To where in college, everything's planned for you. And this is what time you eat. This is what time you work out. This is over there. It's like, hey, be at practice. Here we go. And then go home. So you, you got to be pretty disciplined, I would say the word is. You know? So what about how the game is played, too? Because I know that, you know, when you look at, especially the NBA today, when you look at foreign players that come over, a lot of times, or in most cases, they struggle, whether it's the speed, the athleticism mm -hmm. required. I mean, Luka Doncic is considered a great player because mm -hmm. he's one of the few that have broken that mold. But right. how, how different is, how, is the game played in different countries? It was – the game was not – yeah, it was, it was slower, but it was – 
played at kind of a higher IQ level. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was more kind of X's and O's and, and just understanding the game. And, and guys could all shoot. I don't know if there's any, any comparison there. There was a ton of great shooters over there. But the game is it's just faster. The NBA game is just faster and, and more athletic. But over there, it was it was a little bit, a little bit more physical, honestly, mm-hmm. and just a little bit, a little bit slower. You know, they didn't jack up first shots. There was more ball movement and, mm-hmm. and strategy to it. To where nowadays, it's absolutely they go run plays and it's all about mismatches. But mm-hmm. back then, it was, you know, just a little bit more fundamental. Okay, yeah, fundamentally sound was kind of what I was thinking based right. on what you were saying. Okay, so. Everyone that plays sports at some point obviously has their last game. When, when did you kind of feel the feeling of, like, okay, this might be it for me? Oh, gosh, that's a tough, touchy subject, man. Um, you know, I started kind of – my back started kind of bugging me a little bit. Um, I had actually just signed my biggest contract mm-hmm. um, to, to date. Um, I was playing the best, best basketball of my life. It was – I had put on um, – Golly, from from college to then, I'd put on probably 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. I was playing at about 255, 260. Um, I was playing great, but it was at that point you've been playing seven years. I wasn't in the NBA. I'd been cut cut by a couple NBA teams. Um, it was one of those decisions: do I keep bouncing around or mm-hmm. do I settle down? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had my son. My son Mason was. Um, my wife at the time was pregnant, so it was kind of those, kind of at that thing, do I bounce around overseas or am I going to be a, a dad and be here and be present? And mm-hmm. at that point, we kind of, you know, kind of decided, shut it down and mm-hmm. start a family. So how did the, uh, how did the training and how, how did that all get started then? Um, I started, I probably started training, I'm, um, I'm kind of one of the originals. Um, we, uh, I started training about 25 years ago, back when it wasn't, wasn't popular, it wasn't cool, social media wasn't around, so I couldn't gas my credentials up. It was, you know, it, it just wasn't a ton of guys doing it. And um, funny thing was I had a friend sent me a newspaper article from the Tennessean back from, uh, golly, 90, maybe 98 or something like that with me offering, you know, private training sessions and stuff sent that the other day to me and was kind of laughing and then I saw the date on it and I was like holy cow um, <laughs> but I, I started training just a little bit during the off seasons um, I mean I wouldn't do anything but staying in the gym anyway so it was just a, a simple way for me to kind of kind of stick around the game and um, I mean, just no way was planning on it being a career or anything like that it just it was just I love doing it I love being in the gym I love I love player development um coaching absolutely stresses me out so <laughs> I'll, I'll stick to the development side of it and, but it started from there and then um I moved when I got done playing I moved um I moved to Nashville back back home and so that's where I originally started training from and then when I moved to Louisiana I got into the actual health club health club industry and then I had access to the gyms and mm-hmm. and stuff like that so it just kind of just kept kept growing and kept developing. I got in with um, some of the local colleges and, and LSU and just started getting um, your feet wet at the, at the next and the higher level guys. And, you know, when I moved back to um, back to here, it was, you know, just, just kind of naturally 
I didn't really jump into anything. I just started kind of, I was asked to kind of train some kids here and there and um, started doing it a little bit when I first moved up here and then just decided, you know what, there's a huge need at the time. There was nothing. And I know it's basketball crazy up here, but there wasn't anybody really doing anything with substance. I mean, so talked to, you know, Coach Payne at the time. He was a big help as, as far as getting it started. And then, you know, went around to some of these high school coaches and introduced myself and met them. And then it's it's just taken off every year, every year since then. So, so was that the start of Legacy Athletics then? Was that, or I, when did I, that start? I started Legacy in Baton Rouge. Um, and I was running, running a health club down there. We started doing leagues and camps and um, a lot of the LSU guys would, would come and we would host all their, their basketball camps there. So that's kind of where I started, officially started Legacy Athletics, was down there. Um, and then when, obviously when we moved up here, it just, I just kept it. And mm -hmm. so it's probably been in all maybe 14, 15 years mm -hmm. that it's been, mm -hmm. been around. So. So I've been curious, where did the name come from for that? Where did, where did oh, Legacy God. Athletics? I stole it. I stole it from <laughs> my, my agent. His um, sports agency was Legacy Legacy Sports. Okay. And I ended up stealing it from him. He still rags me to this day. But <laughs> I ended up um, just kind of taking the name. I did shoot him a, a text and be like, man, is it okay? And he's like, yeah, man, it's, it's no big deal. So that's where I started it from. So what, what is a typical week in Legacy Athletics? What does a typical week for you look like? Um, it obviously depends on the season. Um, everything is, you know, you, you kind of learn pretty quick. You got, you got busy times, you got slow times. Obviously when the season's here, um, your hours change a little bit and they all fluctuate from summer. I'll just kind of start with summer. I mean, summer's a, a 12 hour day, you know, you, you get up early and I do, um, I do a little bit of everything. I do, I do groups. Um, there's a need for a group, just repetitions, and then I do individual mm -hmm. to where I can really slow it down and um, kind of work on specific stuff that kids need. And then as they get older, mm -hmm. you know, I can really break down my high school kids and, and game film and where are they getting their shots, where are they, where are they catching the ball, um, and really work on, on that. And then the younger kids, we do a lot, of, a lot of group for the smaller kids. I don't do a ton of small kids training um, other than the group setting. Mm -hmm sessions but um we just try to stay in the gym and have them working um you know fundamentally i think it, it's i'm like i said i'm kind of a little more old school we, uh, i like a whole lot more ball swings and and pivots and jabs and, and stuff like that instead of the 25 dribble moves to the basket um it's just not really my style i try to focus on the the 95 percent of the game that they're going to do um not turning the ball over, not taking bad <laughs> shots, and then the other five percent they can work on their own. <laughs> so you, you've you've mentioned not wanting to be a coach because you, you, obviously the stress of that a little bit, a little bit much. But how how does what you do? How does that differ from being a coach in your opinion? Right. I mean, it, it's it's not that I wouldn't coach. I just never, for me personally, mm -hmm. um, I, I have turned down some some college jobs. It just wasn't for my family. Mm -hmm. It was it wasn't the right. Um, road that I wanted to take and then high school I just never I just never wanted to teach if that mm. makes sense I just yeah. didn't want to sit in the school all day and, and do that I've always just wanted to be in the gym and just and just work and help every single kid that comes through and that's that's just where kind of my heart was and that's just where I've always kind of focused on and stayed mm -hmm. 
Well, I think one look at uh, your kids would say that your training is pretty successful. Obviously, they've had some good coaches, but Mason's obviously had a good high school career. And I know from everybody I've talked to that Bella's – everyone's expecting her to be special as well. Um, talk about getting to – pressure on it. <laughs> talk about getting to kind of, you know, spend that time with those two and, and how basketball has allowed you all to bond. Oh, man. It's, um, it's been great. You know, I mean, that's kind of every, every father's dream. You know, my, my job consisted of – you know, playing basketball, and my kids were there, and I was always present, and I was always, it allowed me the flexibility, I'm a single dad, I've, I've had them on my own for a long time, and it always just provided the flexibility for me, mm-hmm. but the biggest thing was, man, they were always there, and it was always just, mm-hmm. I don't know, can't really put a word to it, other than it, it was just great having them, watching them grow up, just watching them develop, watching them happy, watching mm-hmm. them you know, play the game that they love. And it was just kind of a blessing to be be a part of it and us to be together like that. So let's talk about each of them individually. First, Mason. Everybody knows him because he's a sharpshooter and he's had some pretty big games. I know one of the more memorable moments was his senior year when he hit that game winner in the corner at Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think was the best part of his game not looking at the shooting? Um, I think he just brought so much to the, to the table. Uh, I think he did kind of everything well. Um, his unselfishness was that was kind of my big thing for me always I was like man you gotta be a little more selfish you gotta be but he just he just he was always happy out there he always wanted what's best for his teammates and the team Um, I think his he was he wasn't super vocal Mm -hmm. but he was still a leader with just just how hard the kid worked I mean he was it's so hard nowadays and, and I see it so many kids I mean kids go to practice and they go home mm-hmm. you know they don't very few understand that when I go to practice that's for my team that's not for me mm-hmm. you know that's not for me individually I've got to work individually to get myself better and that kid and there was several of them at that time that 2020 class we got 14 kids to college mm-hmm. um, but they would go to practice every day and then they would still come to the gym after and work and just get reps up, get shots up, and that's why he was such a good shooter because he was a, a gym rat. <laughs> Not just at practice, he was shooting five, six times a, five, six times a week mm-hmm. and never complained, you know, never, never wanted to miss, always wanted to be in here. Um, now, Bella's a struggle. Bella's, <laughs> Bella's that 14-year-old girl. You got to kind of let her live, her live her life a little bit. Mason was always, I'm in the gym, man. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Well, talk about Bella's game a little bit because whenever she is on the court, it seems like you know she's one of the best kids on the court. What what have you seen from her so far that thinks that she you think she could have a great high school career? Um, I, I think they're very similar. I mean, obviously it's a you know the athleticism's different and all that, but I think they're very similar. I think she's she sees the floor very well. She's she's a willing passer. She makes kind of the right plays. She doesn't turn the ball over. She. You know, she's developing into a, a, a really good shooter. Um, but I think they're very similar in that way. You know, I, I just I see her make some passes sometimes that maybe normal people won't see that I'm kind of just like, okay, you know, just left hand wrap around bounce passes <laughs> to a spot before the girl gets there. And it's, you see all the potential in the world, you know, it's mm-hmm. um, just how 
bad? Do they want to work the next few years? You know, I don't know. She'll, she'll go as far as she wants to. That's for sure. So I have to ask, as, as a parent, are you, are you one of those that you're kind of more laid back when you're at their games and you're kind of like let the coaches do their, yeah. do their thing or, or are you one of the loud ones? Um, I, and there's no judgment either way here. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying, man. I, I am trying. I, I like to think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. And I know there's a couple of things that always kind of get under my, my skin that I end up yelling. But it's, um, I think that's more just with the energy level mm-hmm. and confidence in them. But I'm trying, man. I know, I know people are watching too, so I try, just, <laughs> I try to sit off in the corner by myself and just kind of let the game happen. But I know we all get kind of carried away sometimes and caught up. So I'm getting better at it. <laughs> so the way I like to end all of these typically is just, you know, free game. If you had to give advice to younger kids or to younger athletes about how to get to the collegiate level and to extend their career even further to where maybe they can profit off of it a little bit, uh, what's some advice you would give them? And then what's some advice you would give your younger self uh, now? Um, It's the same thing to every kid. You just have to, you have to love the game, right? You have to want to be in the gym working constantly getting better. And it's a, it's a long process. It's not a one summer fix. It's a every opportunity I have for four, five, six years, whatever it may be, I've got to put in extra work. I got to go above and beyond because there are millions of kids that are playing the game everywhere. And it's you've got to put in that work, that time, that energy, that effort. You just got to live it if, if that's what you want. If you want to go on to the next level, if if you want to just be a great high school player, you still have to do that. You know. Um, my younger self, man, I wish, I wish I would have worked like some of these kids do now. <laughs> like we did. Like we always went and played pickup games and, and we're in the gym. But as far as working on just individual skill set and getting better at certain things, I'm not sure we did that a whole lot back then. Mm-hmm. You know, there, were, there wasn't a whole lot of guys. We just, we just played pickup games. We just went and played <laughs> and battled and fought. And sure, we got shots up, but there wasn't a whole lot of purpose to the workouts and I think that's what's different nowadays now I, you know I can work on this 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 and there's a whole lot more structure and reasoning behind it to where 20 years ago we just played mm-hmm. and I think that was um you know that was the difference in me having a 15-year NBA career and me having a good overseas career mm-hmm. is if I would have spent that middle school high school years mm-hmm. really focused you know, and I'm not sure I did. I mean, I always played for fun, but <laughs> it just never was a goal. So, live and learn. Looking back at it, you always second guess yourselves. But, man, just be in the gym. Be a gym rat. Love the game and just love competing and, and always competing while you're out there on the floor. I think that's the key. Um, see a lot of kids just kind of take that for granted some. They just, they kind of play cool, mm-hmm. you know. But you got you to gotta fight. You got to scrap. You got to compete every, every second you're out there. All right. Well, that was Upper Cumberland legend Jason Winningham.